Hi, I'm Professor Beckstraw. And I'm Professor Eric Bronson, and you're listening to Prison Breakdown. Two, three, break! Hate to spoil his fun, but we're gonna bust out of here. Two, three, break! You're locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Ahoy, dudes. Ahoy. Welcome back to the pirate ship. We are recording this on a very happy Halloween. Yes, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. As one of my favorite holidays, one of your least favorites. Yeah, it, it's not for me. As we've discussed, it is, I'm currently in that no man's land between having kids and going trick-or-treating, which I don't have yet, and then going to the bars where I feel too old for the bars. Now, do you still go trick-or-treating with the youngsters? No, I'm, I'm the candy hander-outer. I sit around at the house and hand out the candy to all the kiddos coming around and get to see everyone and have some scary music playing at the house. And the boss goes out with the boys. And well, they're old enough now. They go into their different grade directions. So one goes to sixth grade, one goes to eighth grade, and they have their pot of friends that just terrorize the neighborhood. So, yeah. So it's <laughs> like fun. <laughs> but, but editor, producer, Britt, you have plans and they sound like they're a lot of fun. I, I wonder why the grumpy bug didn't. In fact, you, when it comes to Halloween. <laughs> oh, the grumpy I'm a goth, so it's like my holiday. It's my, yeah. my Christmas and Easter and Fourth uh, of July all put together. It's fantastic. It is the spookiest holiday. Well, let me ask you this. Did you, were you ever working at, a, at an institution during Halloween? And what was that like? I was. I worked there multiple Halloweens and I don't remember doing anything at all for Halloween. We would do maybe a potluck for Thanksgiving if people were working. Nothing for Halloween. Zero. They don't want corrections officers showing up in Halloween costumes. That's goofy. Didn't trick or treat with the inmates. Bring them bring them some candy. No, is that a thing? (laughs) No, that's contraband. Contraband, uh, We'll get to in a bit for today's topic (laughs) as a continuation of last time. Yeah. No, it's uh, now. Tell me, for handing out candy, I, I want to know: Do you have a costume? No, I'm scary like a permanent enough. costume you wear every year. No, I'm just, <laughs> they just look at me. And, you know, with me being the gruesome person that I am, I'm the type of person that will make moms get up and leave with their child from waiting areas when they walk into it and see that they want to. Oh, geez, they might eat my that thing might eat my child. So. That does not happen. <laughs> also, hashtag gruesome twosome for uh, for today's episode. Gruesome twosome. Because we're gruesome. Yes, okay. we are. It's Halloween. Hashtag gruesome twosome. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you have a story about scaring children away, add mm-hmm. us. Hit us up on X at, at the pod. Hashtag gruesome twosome. 
That would be great. How about, speaking of some news of scaring stuff, how about uh, a little news off the uh, razor wire here, a little bit of an update. Fresh news, hot off the razor wire. All right, last time we were recording, I gave you a little bit of a story about four inmates that escaped from a Georgia jail. Since that, now you got to think about this has been a little bit. It's been just over two weeks since this escape occurred. And they have only captured one. They've only captured one of these individuals. So we still have three. Um, so the update is uh, Chavez Stokes, who's 29, was apprehended inside a home in southwest Georgia. And that's pretty, pretty much about it. He was being held on drug and gun possession charges. And that's about all that we have for him. Now, the other inmates, Joey Fournier, uh, who's 52 years old and who was wanted for, or who was being held on murder charges, 24-year-old Mark Anderson and 37-year-old Jennifer Barnwell are all still at large. And the FBI and... Um, the marshals are still searching for him along with Georgia State Police. So this is a much longer inmate on the run, offender on the run, escapee, than what we're used to hearing. This is not this is not normal. No, not at all. And do you know the circumstances, how they caught the one? No, there's very little information. I think it's been a busy couple news weeks um, since since then, you know. You know, we've been hearing so much about our ex-president's trials, um, and that's what I love about the updates that we get about whatever court he's in or whatever trial's going on or whatever witnesses. You're just kind of like, which trial are they talking about? Is this the one in New York or Washington <laughs> or Georgia? There's so much going on. But, um, yeah, it. Uh, there, I think it's, you know, had it been a slow couple news weeks, I think there'd been a better update. But uh, that's the only thing I was able to find is just that, um, you know, they found him in a, in a home that he was hiding in the Southwest Georgia. So they don't, they don't say if this was even, uh, a family member of, of his, uh, his, which normally, you know, you, you'd expect the, they'd go to either a family member's house or a significant other's house to try and hide out for a while, but there's, there's very little information. So, um, once there is some more information about this inmate being caught and the other three that are on the run, I will definitely bring it to our, uh, our podcast. Wow. That's yeah. Please, please do keep us updated. This is an ongoing situation and hopefully we get a, a peaceful turnout. Yeah. Thing. I still think we need to, you know, look into, uh, you know, potential internships for the spring semesters for our students to search for these three down there. The bounty hunters <laughs> talk about a hands-on learning experience. Oh, wouldn't that be a cool internship to be a bounty hunter? <laughs> yes, it would. Unless you had to work with dog. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> just awful. But yeah, it would be. A, I mean, that would be a lot of fun if you. Although, of all the marshals that I know, um, that that do a lot of that, where they are looking for offenders, it's a lot of, you know, staking out joints and a lot of surveillance. And they said, you know, they'll spend three you know, seven days, 10 days in cars. And they said, they, you know, look, we stink. We eat nothing but fast food. 
And all we do is just watch apartments and see if we can find people. So that part isn't very glamorous, but you know, I think everybody wants to be a, be a U.S. Marshal after Tommy Lee Jones made it look such a desirable job way back when in The Fugitive, right? Um, you know, it's... Yeah, I don't, I don't made know it that look it's very that cool. Fun. And then don't don't forget, don't forget U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens from the Justified series. That no. that made it look sexy too. Yeah, very sexy. Yep, yep. It's uh, every everybody wants to do it, but it's I you know, it's just like CSI Miami and show bones any of those boy does it look good in hollywood but when you look at the reality of it it's not as exciting as it seems two three break now eric have you ever been on a stakeout before no definitely not that's that's not a good thing for someone with adhd When I when I interned at a sheriff's office in Washington prior to becoming a corrections officer, I got to go on a couple of stakeouts for they called it Operation Razor's Edge. Really? Uh, somebody was stealing razors from a local grocery <laughs> store and selling them on eBay for a lot of money. And so we sat there for five hours one day, watching, watching, waiting, looking for something to happen, and finally we see a, a guy come out of a store and go home and. That, that was pretty much the thick of it. Not that interesting, but I, my, my partner was my sergeant and uh, Sergeant Jim Upton and much respect to him. He was, he was a great guy. But, uh, You're serious, huh? Not a lot going I, on. I thought when you said, yeah. you know, Operation Razor's Edge, this was going to be some kind of shaving joke or something. But you're serious. Wow. <laughs> no, no. I wish there was a joke. It, it, it's just my, my own experience from it says... It's dull, but if you get a good partner, someone who's a good talker, mm-hmm. at least it passes the time well. Yeah. Okay. That's fun stuff. And I got to see this is this is what a stakeout is really like. <laughs> and so it made you pick it's, your career. It's not path. going to be the most fascinating thing. Yeah. No, it's it, you it gotta... may have contributed. <laughs> <laughs> and you're able to to figure out that you wanted to find ways to better stimulate your mind than staring off at a and supermarket aisle or something is that what kind of store oh, was yeah, it? yeah we, we weren't this was a, a grocery and we were in the parking lot the entire time i didn't mm. even get to look down the store aisles mm. so so you knew the certain person you were looking for i believe so i think we knew his vehicle okay now i think the next question is what type of razors were these like those gillette you know 80 blade razors where they cost $105 to shave your face one time, those type of ridiculous things. That is correct. It is like a Mach 3-esque oh. razor. It was, those things can go for a pretty penny. They, yeah, we can understand why the stadium up here in New England where Tom Brady used to play named Gillette after the prices that they charge for those damn razors. Yeah, yeah, they can afford that stadium. Yeah, definitely. They're not messing around. No. Craft is doing well. Oh, anyway, enough of enough of stakeouts. Let's move on. Let's get on to this is me. Back to contraband, right? Back Let, to our let's contraband. move on. Yeah, let's go back contraband. to contraband. Love it. Two, three, break. So, pop quiz. Uh oh. How? Do we detect contraband entering the facility? What methods are used? Well, we have metal detectors. 
We have wands. And we have pat downs. Wands. Pat downs. Yeah. What else? We inspect mail. What else? We inspect mail. Yeah. Yeah. And ask questions, and that's about it. Uh, quick question. Are they allowed to do cavity searches? Under very rare circumstances. I've never seen it happen. But my understanding is if there's some kind of... I don't, I don't want to say probable cause because that's its own concept. If, if there were some kind of dire circumstance where they knew somebody had something on them, I, I've heard of it being permitted, but we also had a lieutenant lose his job because he ordered a cavity search on somebody. Mm. He was later hired back, but did not look good for a while. Hmm. Interesting. I think those are the, the major ways, aren't they? That we that we're able to uh, find those are the major ways, but we also yeah. do a few that you missed. One, we have strip searches, uncomfortable oh, okay. for both parties. Yeah, they're they're fairly demeaning to the person being strip searched, even at your most polite. And those of us, the corrections officers, who had to do the strip searches, it's you feel a little embarrassed for them, even though you know that this is necessary. We also have yeah. patrol perimeters, so people patrolling the area, making sure that there's nobody throwing something over the fence. We have the fencing to try and prevent it. We, we have some prisons have body scanners. I've heard of some prisons having cell sense towers, which is a tower where they have a device that can detect cell phones in the area. That's getting really high tech. We also have swab systems to test mail and other objects for narcotics. We have shakedowns, going cell to cell, pulling inmates out, putting them out in the yard or somewhere safe patting them down and then searching their entire room. And then we also use canines to search, not for just drugs and cell phones, but for other forms of comfort. Well, I don't, did, when you were working, did you ever have a canine come into the unit at all? Never into the unit. My understanding is we did have canines come in. It was never on my shift, Yeah, but we did have canines come in to do some drug sniffing and work with the male officers. It was never while I was on duty in a unit or on duty doing mail. So I, I didn't see it, but it's something that is done periodically for a sweep. How about well, you? You ever see well, it? I, I never saw it in person. We didn't have it when I was working, but I know um, wardens have told me in the past, one of the things that they like to do is have the state police show up during visitation um, and have that, have that, that unit parked outside so that when people are coming in to visit, and they just have, you know, they have no intentions of having the dog sniff or, you know, search anybody. They just have it there. And that's enough of a deterrent to keep uh, to keep contraband out because they'll they'll say they need to do this because they've learned about recent contraband coming in during visitation hours. And so they just say, OK, if we put this dog out here, it'll be enough. They also do that um, at the beginning of shifts where they'll tell them, hey, we're going to. You know, we're going to have the dog sniff you. We're going to have the dog sniff your car, too. Um, and if it hits, we're going to search it. Um, but that's what, you know, that's according to some of the wardens. I don't know how often that happens. I think if things get bad enough, they would they would do it. If, the, you know, if you just have a, you know, this incredible rise of, of contraband coming in, you know, a lot of drugs coming in or, um, you know, anything like phones that they might be able to, you know, help detect or just, you know, start to deter people bringing it in, then you could see that, you know, having that outside visitation area or where the, where the staff walks in for, 
for work each day that might help drop things off a little bit for a while. But of course, as soon as a dog goes away, it's going to pop back up again. No, for sure. So randomly doing it would be the most effective way. But also one thing to talk about here is the, the outcomes. If a dog, if they are walking around with the drug sniffing dog and you're in the visitation area, the dog pegs you as somebody who has some kind of contraband on them. You, you have to submit to a search. And if you, if you refuse, they can 86 you from the facility. And if they find something on you, they can 86 you from the facility. So you're not coming back yeah, because it is not going to happen. And, and we know, <laughs> we, we know that we, we can get dogs to, you know, mark or hit on a, on a car or a, you know, on a search um, with the, with the proper command to that dog. And it doesn't have to be a verbal, it can be a hand signal and the dog will say, yep, there's something here and they can search. Um, and then, you know, like you said, if there's that refusal, you know, nobody's going to believe the person. Then they say, hey, the dog hit, said they were carrying something in um, and they refused it. So they're, you know, convicted in the court of public opinion or the prison opinion. Yeah, absolutely. A refusal to them is just as good as this guy's guilty. So one way that we have also tried to prevent contraband is by using digital mail, by allowing inmates some access to digital mail to prevent contraband entry. So sometimes they will photocopy printed mail and send it digitally to inmates if inmates are allowed tablets or something of that sort. And some facilities that still allow real mail will only accept black and blue ink because drugs can be disguised in other colors of pens. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, you know it's interesting because as you and I do with our with our students, we give them the opportunity to make a pen pal, literally a penitentiary pal, uh, an inmate. There are plenty of third party websites that give uh, inmates the opportunity to get some friends from the outside, so our students are able to write to them and just you know have general conversation with them. And that's one of the things that we do tell them, or at least I, I know I remember to tell them, hey, ink, blue or black, because um, those are the only inks that are allowed inside the institution. And it is very interesting what we get back from from the inmates, whether it's handwritten or typed up. Um, some of the letters that we've been getting back this semester are, are typed up letters and, um, you know, you know, the students aren't sending in typed up letters, but, uh, you know, it's real. They're, they're getting real mail back from them. So, uh, uh, nothing that's, uh, that's being sent to them and being, you know, reprinted and then sent back out, uh, to the, to the free community. Cause you know, they're looking for codes and everything like that. And in terms of messages. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. I, my students are only just now starting to send out their letters and, we haven't gotten back any any replies, but I'm excited to see what comes through. It, it's a uh, it's a great uh, little exercise for these students. Um, we have some that uh, we have some that are very quick to get back to the students, and um, you can see some common themes in terms of you know I would love some help with my case, or I would love some funding, or I'm looking for love and any interest. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> But then there are also some inmates. So we, we got one inmate who's just recently wrote one of our students who's who's being very honest with her, ta- talking about uh, how he's received several disciplinary 
uh, right up since being incarcerated. He's 22 years old. He's got 25 to life. His, you know, we we were talked about in the course about hey, you know, take a take a moment to think about, you know, the students in the class are 20, 21, 22. That's this guy same age, and he won't have a parole hearing to the year 2040, 2048. You know, it's just it's daunting when you think about it that way, but it's great opportunities for these students to communicate with some inmates. Totally agree. Now, Eric, do you know what the consequences of bringing contraband into a facility are if you are the offender? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, you're talking about somebody going to visit or an officer, or do you mean the the inmate who's receiving? Who, who, uh, which, which classification of uh, contraband carrier are we working with right now? I'm talking about individuals who take a prohibited item into a correctional facility or on onto property owned or controlled by a correctional facility. Well, I think it, it you've got a wide range of, you know, obviously you can get arrested um, mm-hmm. and do a little bit of jail time. Um, and depending on what, what contraband you're taking in, whether you're sneaking something in or if you're tossing something over a fence, if, I mean, if it's a weapon, if it's something that can hurt somebody um, or like the when we talked about in part one of this, of this episode, um, where you're bringing a cell phone and that's seen as a real danger because individuals can hand out hits, um, or, you know, coordinate criminal activity on the outside. Well, those can get pretty severe and you can do some serious time for those. But, um, you know, I think majority of them are misdemeanor offenses, but I know there are some felony offenses there. If you talk about taking in weapons, um, so that, that's some pretty bad stuff. For sure. And helping inmates get prohibited items, we know now that it can lead to federal and state action. Some places like Texas, for example, you're looking at a third degree felony, two to 10 years, $10,000 fine, and federal charges are also possible on the line too. Looking over across the pond, as they say, to our fellows in the UK, anyone in possession of an offensive weapon in prison, anyone who receives some kind of weapon that can harm others in prison, they're liable to get a up to a four year sentence just for that. Four years. One. Four years yeah, in the UK. Four wow. Years. That that's shocking. One cool thing that they are doing in the UK though is British jails and prisons. They're some of them are allowing inmates to turn in contraband and report contraband like drugs or weapons and do it without punishment. Just have this amnesty period. Offer these these deposit boxes on the cell blocks where inmates can deposit any kind of contraband. Hey, no harm, no foul, and we can look the other way. So they they offer some amnesty for drugs and weapons. Now, but only in the UK so far. I was going to say, do they test any of that for DNA? See <laughs> if it's been used in a hit and dropped in a deposit box. Um, ha! You're like, okay, that's a very good yeah. question. Yeah, or do they just kind of okay? This, we've got it now. We're, we're good. Now we also see a lot of contraband, like inmate. Inmate weapons made out of regular products around the prison. So you, you take like a broom handle and you sharpen it off. And there are some companies out there, such as Briarwood Products, that have started to make these brooms and other prison tools out of this flexible but tough polymer. You can't take it and break it. You can't sharpen it and turn it into a weapon. They're, they call them shank-free correctional tools. And that's kind of an interesting idea. You're inmate-proofing. A prison. It, it's it's like the idea of childproofing somewhere, 
but you are trying to think ahead. You're, you're taking any kind of incidents in the past. Okay, an inmate has taken this, sharpened it, and fashioned it into a weapon. How can we take that item and inmate-proof it? Wow, that, this, that's ingenious. There's a lot of interesting engineering that we've had in prisons. Yeah, that. that's ingenious. I mean, right? I mean, obviously, there's still going to be plenty of things that you know the inmates are going to be able to find in the institution that we can't, you know, we can't have the, the bunk beds, you know, and, and these medium, you know, these medium institutions where they're kind of like barrack style where you, you can't have those be made out of soft, soft plastics um, that could still be a broom because they'd collapse under weight. But um, wow, that's some really interesting technology. We, maybe we need to get some of the engineering folks on campus to come on over and talk to us about how in the heck they would do that. It just seems like, okay, we get enough of it. We could melt it down and shape it into something. And maybe once it, you know, becomes a solid again, it would be hard enough to be turned into a shiv. I don't, I don't know. It's, that's just, but that's, that's some great use of technology there, you know, and engineering. My goodness, I had never heard of that. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it's fascinating. You know, you know what the first thing they need to do is they, they need to switch the they need to switch the toothbrushes up. Of course, how frustrating will that be having a floppy toothbrush? Oh, inmates! The only toothbrushes I've ever seen are the little ones. Yeah, but you know, have you ever seen an inmate with a full toothbrush? Oh, yeah. I only see the the tiny two inch toothbrush. No, I've seen them with the long. You know, not. I, I wouldn't say like, hey, that's an Oral B toothbrush, but uh, they, you know, it's a longer one. And then when I worked, I, I mentioned I worked in the mental health facility. Um, they had full length toothbrushes there, which I did not understand because a lot of these people were dangerous to themselves, and uh, and and others, and uh, you know, they could have worn those down. Now maybe they weren't. Maybe the patients weren't you know, didn't have enough exposure to prisons or the criminal justice system at the time. So they, they weren't thinking along those lines, but I was always shocked about the full length toothbrush there. Yeah. I, I suppose you do need to relax a little bit and give inmates some liberties, but also ensuring some degree of safety. It's, it's a really tricky act where you're, you're walking on this, this high wire, trying to, trying to make both sides happy, trying to keep things in balance. Definitely. Uh, and, you know, you can understand, I mean, at least, I'm, you know, my, my, I could understand why someone who was sentenced to prison would, would definitely carry something around. You know, it's, if you're not good at fighting, if you're weaker, smaller, um, because it is, you know, we're, we're talking about survival of the, of the uh, most violent in some of these places, right? Where, you know, People will just try to exploit you if you can't defend yourself in some way. Um, it, it uh, you know, you can understand why folks are doing it, why they're, why they're creating weapons or trying to sneak weapons in. Two, three, break! All right, so Eric. What are some of the consequences we're seeing? Like, what what does it do to a prison when we introduce drugs into the prison? Besides inmates getting high. Well, I you know what that does is I that helps the uh, inmate subculture uh, function in a way that 
you know, you start to have people that are indebted to other inmates that, you know, whenever you end up with somebody who's able to, you know, sell or trade drugs, you're, you're able to create a hierarchy and that creates problems. So that inmate subculture kind of can become more important. Those rules, those unwritten rules that the inmates live by that, uh, don't have anything to do with how the institution is supposed to be run, a nice, safe place, um, can create opportunities for inmates to be exploited, become indebted to other inmates. And that leads to, now, typically it's it's non-random violence, but because if you get indebted to somebody and you aren't able to pay back your debts, it's going to uh, provide the opportunity for someone to, uh, you know, uh, shank you or who knows what, um, you know, to try and get even for things. So, you, you know, so they can felt like they're paid back, but yeah, that's, it's not a good situation. It's like being indebted to the mob. Um, you know, people who were able to, yeah, to right. you know, run organized crime within an institution. It's, it's not a great situation. Certainly not. It, it can create these power struggles yep. between people. It can create disorder. You always run the risk of potential overdoses. And the, the potential for violence that can happen between inmates if someone's in debt and unable to pay their debts. We inmate inmates will exploit other inmates. It's it's something that does happen. And it's unfortunate, but it is also part of that inmate code, this set of unwritten rules that Eric and I love to study and talk about. Definitely. And and you know, the big thing about that is you know. Um, when it, the other part of the problem is, you know, when they're, when inmates are trying to get, get these, you know, drugs in or any type of contraband and a, a lot of times it's coming through the staff. So it's creating those, those types of, uh, situations where we have corrupt staff who are then indebted to the inmates or, um, sir, you know, they're, they're, they're given some type of service to the inmates because they're getting paid on the outside. Um, again, it's, it's not a good situation when you have, um, when you have, you know, people, inmates will talk about, you know, oh, I own that staff member. That's obviously not something you want to be going on inside your institution. Um, so, and any of this. Nobody wants to be that owned person. Right. Right. So besides drugs, we also run into some, some complications from communication devices like cell phones. These can allow for plotting. They can allow for escape plans. They can allow for planning murders, planning of bringing in contraband. It's not that cell phones aren't allowed just because corrections officers don't think inmates should have them or they want to be mean or there's some type of disciplinary reason for it. It's trying to, trying to ensure safety and security in the institution is the whole purpose of not allowing in something like cell phones. Yeah, definitely. And we, you know, one of the interesting things that we can see is uh, right now going on. Not, not only do we have to worry about the safety and security uh, of the institution and the staff on the outside, but also, you know, there are TikTok accounts that are popping up that uh, where inmates have cell phones inside the institution and they're putting out videos and man, do they get a lot of followers quickly. Everybody is, you know, wants to take a peek behind that curtain and see what, what the heck is going on. Um, with inmates inside prison or jail. And, uh, that, you know, one of the things that is not, you know, thought about with this is that, you know, if, if there's enough of this going on, you can, you know, where you have a, a cell phone that's well hidden, but yet recording or broadcasting, 
you can start to record what are the operations or the activities of the staff inside the institution. You know, we can start to see, you know, one of the things that we no longer see at, at these newer institutions are towers, right? Because they have the vehicles that are doing laps around the institution. Well, they can, you know, one of the advantages of that is the inmates don't know which direction and how often they're going to circle the institution, how, you know, when, what makes them go in one direction versus the other. Well, they can start recording that and then start to get an idea about, okay, here's when we make a break um, to hop over the fence, or here's when somebody tries to break, you know, break into the fence so that we all can get out, that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's something that isn't talked about much as, you know, you, you're looking at, the, the overall security of the institution when, when inmates have access to, to cell phones. Right. You're looking for the patterns, the weaknesses in security, where they can exploit to potentially gain some kind of foothold, some kind of advantage over the corrections officers. And generally speaking, I'm not against the idea of, of allowing inmates to TikTok in prisons as long as it would not hurt the security. Prisons are so much of a black box that maybe we should have people in prisons talking about what it's like to be in prisons and doing it in some kind of public forum where they're able to express what it's like in prison, show people on the outside what it's like and give them just a small window of insight into what is prison like. That's not a bad thing. No, I mean, and if you think about it, if the if the uh, Department of Corrections is, uh, you know, we already have this, if they're getting paid by A&E to have, what is it, 60 Days In or whatever the hell the name of the show is where they're, you know, they're highlighting inmates and you know, who are fakes and struggle, you know, trying to fit into the, to the prison world, why not have some type of exposure, um, that, you know, we, we could regulate it obviously. Um, but it would be something where the, where public would be able to see what's going on. I'm not, you know, saying, Hey, give them cameras and let them walk all over the institution and interview the staff about, you know, what's their favorite costume they ever wore on Halloween. Um, but, but if we had something where they could, <laughs> what a great interview yeah. question, <laughs> yeah. um, an inmate uniform, uh, but, uh, they could, um, you know, there, there's some way they, that we could do that where, you know, allow inmates to do short videos about, you know, what the hell they're experiencing, what their days are like, what the issues are in the, uh, and getting to the courts, ac- you know, access to the courts, which is always an issue for inmates, um. You know, I think the public could learn a lot from that. Certainly. And we do have some windows of insight through podcasts like Ear Hustle that where inmates are able to tell us about their experiences. But it's also subject to approval from the authorities in prisons. So there is going to be some kind of some kind of tailoring that's going on with the content itself. To be able to get raw, unedited content from people in prisons would be maybe to our advantage as well. And I'm always surprised by TikTokers from prisons where it seems like it'd be so easy to get caught. You put your face on camera, they know who you are. How hard is it to find you with a cell phone from there? Well, you know, you know, it's one inmate taking the video of a certain inmate and then they wander off and hide that. Um, But you figure they're going to catch them. They're just going to keep monitoring them and see who that inmate, who's the star of the show who's recording, um, you know, who, who's walking in and out of their cell, who are they shaking hands with afterwards, you know, when they, after a count or something like that, um, that they're going to catch them sometime. 
unless of course you know there is a hey uh don't catch me and here's an extra grand because people are getting rich making tiktoks in prison sure people willing to look the other way yeah now this this leads me to my next hard-hitting interview question (laughs) for both of you what's your favorite halloween costume you've ever had oh boy i don't know i stopped wearing costumes when because i was such a big kid yeah, I know one of the ones that was my favorite is I went as uh, Ace Freely from Kiss. Nice. Yeah, the star in my eye. Yeah, and one of the mm-hmm. oh, I was I was gonna say I, th- I think he's Star Child. Could not yeah, remember for yeah, sure. I think, uh, and I know it. Um, one of the one of the parents in the neighborhood didn't like it. Told my mom that I look like Satan because <laughs> she was allowing me, she was allowing me to go <laughs> wait, as wait, Kiss. Wait. Gene Simmons was supposed to be the the devil, though. Well, to her, I think Ace Freely was Space Ace. Yeah, I think to her, all uh, of Kiss was. Oh, Knights in Satan's Service, K I S S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what about you? Pretty cool costume. Yeah, yeah. No, I I can't really think of any really that I've done. I for actually, you know what? I'm gonna go with my banana costume because that thing is like. It looks like a rotten banana at this point. I've used it so much. Um, it's just got like brown spots and stuff like that all over it. I, I've probably used it for a good, maybe, I don't know, eight Halloweens. Not in a row, but like eight solid Halloweens. So I'm going to go with a banana. Classic costume. I like that. that that's it's fun. Pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's fun because it's nasty. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to join you some Halloween. You go as the nasty banana, and I'll dress up as a giant ape and chase you around. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's actually pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. That's a great couple's costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about yours, Beck? What was your favorite costume? Uh, so, is it is it going as, uh, what did you say you were yesterday, uh, Baywatch? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I showed up in my, my Baywatch jacket yesterday. I that might be my favorite thing I, I own that I've ever worn for Halloween. I, I can wear that year round if I really wanted yeah, to. It's, it's a cool Baywatch. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you should. Baywatch tank. Yeah. I don't see why yeah. not. It was, it was the theme of my bachelor party. If there was a theme <laughs> where we went uh, hiking in the woods and to a forest fair in, in Alaska. But I, I just love Baywatch. Let's, let's put it out there. Baywatch is, it's one of my favorite shows. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's not good, but it is great. I, I've never seen an episode. <laughs> wow. Oh, they will like there there will be ghosts. They will like liberate a small Mexican town. They will there's multiple episodes with ghosts. In the last episode I saw David Hasselhoff's character is accusing a man of being a vampire. Stop. Stuff like that. It's 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 incredible. They ran out of material no. to talk about season one where there was like this this lawyer who was also a lifeguard and he has to decide which one he wants to do with his life. So it's pick lifeguard over lawyer. Absolute nonsense. Uh-huh. Yeah. He eventually disappeared. I, I think he eventually chose lawyer over lifeguard, but he was really struggling with it for a while. Oh. Well, you know, there are some advantages being a lawyer over a, a lifeguard. Um, you know, uh, name one uh, you make a real living well no 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 no, no no we're talking about a massive reduction in the threat of skin cancer <laughs> oh yeah okay okay that that, that isn't true true that's and an for someone who is very it's also interesting very bald that is that's a real concern <laughs> oh you can just wear a hat yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
one thing I love coming at it from a criminal justice perspective is the the lifeguards are always overstepping their boundaries. Like there are so many episodes where they'll go undercover somewhere. That's not a lifeguard's job. See, I, but I, I, I'm, I I'm so I like that. I'm so I, I don't know. I because I, I've never watched this. I've only you know I only know about the commercials. They're you know Hasselhoff and Pam Anderson running. Um, that's all I know about it. Um, so. You know, when you say they're overstepping, I'm just <laughs> no clue. So they they get to uh, fight, you know, justice. And they didn't didn't the Rock redo a movie or something about it? And he's a firefighter in it or some crap he like did. that. I've not seen it. Okay, all right. So I think that I don't have a clue. I've I've not seen the film. I think it, I we have a film for for Brit, and he can tell us about what happened because it can't be good. <laughs> All right, I will watch Baywatch and report back to you. Oh, <laughs> oh I, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll end end the the next podcast with the film minute with producer yes. Bryce. Sure, sure, why not? I'll make a theme song. <laughs> That's fantastic. But it's it's something special. That's all I honestly. Your impression of Baywatch was all I had known until I went into it, and this has been a. It started out as a COVID project between me and two friends to try and watch the whole thing. And I think we're at season seven out of 11 now. Oh, you're really invested now. It's an obsession. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, we get together once every two weeks to sit around and watch Baywatch. Oh, my. Well. It's it's a hobby. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, boy. There are they're, they're worse hobbies. Let's talk about inmate perspectives yeah. on contraband. Okay. That sounds great. So in uh, Kenya, there's a, there's a prison, Kamiti Maximum Prison. And there's a research project there where the researchers looked at how contraband affects the potential rehabilitation of inmates. And the study looks at the, the negative effects associated with contraband use, including they found some increases in insecurity. There, were, there was more bullying, there was more violence, and people were more prone to withdraw from inmate subcultures. In this study, about 25% of respondents told the researchers that the expense of buying contraband in prison resulted in debts or being short on things, particularly tobacco, canteen items, and toiletries. So as we were talking about, people in debt in prison, that's a bad place to be in debt. Yeah, You're in there with some people who may potentially harm you if you are in debt to them. They can put pressures on your family to provide money, to send money, and you don't want them messing with your family. No. Absolutely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's got to be, think about the most, one of the most helpless feelings you could have is knowing that, you know, hey, I wanted to get high one night in prison and now my family's being threatened on the outside because of that, because I can't pay this inmate off because the debt keeps doubling. Oh man, that's horrible. Sure. There's no free lunch. People might tack on some kind of interest. They they may apply harm just to put put the pressure on you to make those payments. Some inmates in prisons are addicted to the drugs and they need these drugs to avoid withdrawing from the drugs. So combine that with being in debt and this can read this can lead to some real tensions in the prison and People will experience withdrawal symptoms, and we can 
end up with that combined with frustration, anger, other people taking aggressions out on them. That's a really tough spot for people to be in. It can also increase violence between inmates when we see this happen. Yeah. And the other thing, you can just imagine trying to go through the DTs while you're while you're locked up in prison. I mean, it's DTs are hard enough when you when you're in a health setting. And then when you're in a prison, man, that's that's just got to be awful. It, there's you know, there's no comforts in a prison cell whatsoever. And for you to sit there and, you know, go experience the shakes and the fevers and the the vomiting while you're while your cellmates probably telling, you know, smacking you upside the head, telling you, you know, make sure you get the puke in the toilet. That it's that's just awful. Oh, entirely. Our inmates who were experiencing withdrawals, we would have them in a special unit where they were put into boats, which are essentially just cots on the floor. And they would be given more of a watch. So we would watch, we would have to do rounds every 30 minutes instead of every hour. And these inmates, their one extra privilege is more juice. So if, if they want juice, you go around, you offer them more juice. You have to write on a log every half hour what they're doing at the time. Are they, are they talking? Are they lying on their side breathing? Are they sleeping? So whatever it is, you have to record that and make sure that they are not overdosing at the time or dying from withdrawals. And I believe there's only two things that you can die from with withdrawals. And those two things are alcohol and I want to say benzos. So those inmates had to be watched especially closely. But it, it was a tough place. Inmates would go into seizure. Some inmates would fake seizure to try and get out of there and go to the hospital. They'd go, see, oh, I'm having a seizure, which is not how people right. are experiencing a seizure <laughs> right. will react. They got the toothpaste and they're screaming, I got the seizures. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's not a realistic seizure. No, no. What, what, you know when somebody's hollering at you that, you know, it's probably a, a setup and you need to start looking in the other end of the cell block because something's going on there uh, that they're trying to draw you. Yeah, e- exactly. It, it, they're, they're making a smoke screen. Right. Interestingly, the one time I did respond to a real seizure was on the outside. I was in Harvard Square walking down the street. This guy's walking the opposite direction and then he falls on his face and and then he starts convulsing and he he lost a tooth or two in the process too when he fell on his face. But I was right next to him and I I did the the stabilizing the head, you turn him on the side and call nine one one. I it was weird. I've never been in that position to take action like that mm-hmm. before. But they the, the paramedic showed up pretty quickly, got him out of there and Hopefully everything turned out all right. Yeah. Either of you ever experienced anything like that where it's just a medical emergency and you happen to be that person there? Well, it was, I've had actually on twice on two separate occasions, I've had students, uh, one had a seizure and one kind of passed out in class, but you know, just talking about things being real, there's no, you know, when an inmate or somebody's faking it. You know, and there's agreement. I'm having a seizure. There's none of that. There's no. There's no ability to be able to communicate. It's you know, the eyes are rolling back in the head. There's you know, there, there's no way they can do that. Um, definitely did not have any inmates. Um, you know, do that while I was working. Uh, you know, I was lucky in that in that manner. But uh, one morning when I drove in, we did have an inmate who had a seizure that, and and also a brain hemorrhage, and who ended up uh, passing away from the brain hemorrhage. Oh, wow. Um, 
and uh you know it, it when it's when it's real that's pretty scary when that stuff's going on because you know we're, we're not we're not trained in anything to to help those folks other than like what you said okay we know put them on their side make sure try the best to allow them to breathe and call 911 um best we can do so so you were right we're, yeah. we're not trained in that stuff. no and but but the way you acted you were a hero in the situation right i mean in every situation yeah. I yeah. <laughs> yes. how about you brett have you ever have you ever been around folks that have had any seizures oh yeah yeah so i used yeah. to uh, help run like group homes and i was a medical assistant for a while and i worked in like hospice and stuff so i've I've seen a lot of different types of seizures, both uh, petite mall, grand mall, you know, some, some, some of them are just like people, you know, staring off into the middle distance and then suddenly they come back to, and they're like, what, where am I? Uh, and then, you know, so I've seen some violent ones that like, you know, the bowels are emptying and like, you know, like arms are flailing and, uh yeah seizures take all types of different forms mm. um but yeah the, the big thing is you don't know when you're having a seizure yeah. so like you know no one's yelling <laughs> i'm having a seizure that's i i don't think anyone's ever yelled that in truth before yeah uh, i don't i really don't no, think they yell no, out anything you would be incapable yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I'll, although uh people with seizure disorders a lot of them do feel what's called an aura uh, like before they have a seizure. And so like a lot of people can like tell you I'm about to have a seizure hmm. and then they seize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, my ex-girlfriend before I met my now wife was an epileptologist and apparently grand mall and petite mall are no longer terms that we use. Really? They, they don't classify seizures as such. Oh. They're just seizures. Okay. Which is interesting. I, I had no idea. And the epileptologist job of looking at you're just looking at EEGs all day. It, it's there's got to be a tediousness to it, but I'm thankful that somebody out there wants to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the inmate economy. Let's talk. Let's talk costs. Let's talk prices. Let's talk cash. Ugh. So, what do people use for money in prison, Eric? Anything that anybody else wants. I know for us, I, a big thing. You know, we were. In Kentucky, we were right on the forefront of banning cigarettes um, in prisons. Um, so cigarettes were on the way out in in the 90s. And, you know, most states have gotten rid of cigarettes. So because that was a big thing, right? Being able to pay for something with, with cigarettes or a pack, whatever. Um, and so inmates would trade just about anything they could get their hands on from the commissary. Uh a big one where for us were the little Debbies where the inmates traded little Debbies like crazy, um, you know, and no pun intended, but man, did they want those ding dongs. <laughs> <laughs> All the inmates passing around the ding dongs. Who's got the ding dongs today? Um, that was a, that was a hot ticket uh, item uh, in Kentucky. So yeah. Yeah. Not the not the ramen noodles, but the little debbies and ding dongs. I just finished a memoir by poet and professor Ravi Shankar, who I believe is now a professor at Tufts, a, a Providence resident, even. 
And Dr. Shankar talks in there about his experiences going to jail in Connecticut here and how they use soups, which we know is ramen, as currency. So they would use that for bets. They would use that for payments. So that's one thing that we see. We see soups or ramens or mm-hmm. snack cakes. Yep. Uh, some places where cigarettes are not banned, they might use cigarettes. Some places, if they can get in real money, they'll call that green mm-hmm. and they'll use that. And they'll use other items from commissary, such as stamps. Stamps are a huge one. That's what they use in Rhode Island. Uh, some places they'll use spices, they'll use coffee, they'll use clean urine for people to pass a drug test that can be sold off. And in some places, people will dominate others with sexual assault and violence in order to receive payment. So it, it's a real spectrum of what can be used for payment. If we're looking at costs, we could, if I really wanted to buy a gallon of prison hooch, that's going to cost me about 25 smackers. Yeah, that, that's not, uh, that's not so you cheap. You set yourself up real yeah, nice. Yeah, that's, that's not cheap. That's, that's pretty expensive for some low-quality <laughs> alcohol there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and inmates use contraband as currency, which is interesting. So they might, they might exchange that hooch for 20 soups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, people, people use contraband as a, a bartering chip to make their lives easier in, in places to make things more comfortable for themselves. They're, they're complying with this, the informal norms of the prison setting. And that that's giving them at least a, a bargaining chip. That's giving them some kind of power in some way. And some of it also can, can just be, you know, um, you're talking about some of the, you know, not so friendly ways, but they're, they can also, you know, if an inmate can, can provide some type of service for another inmate, um, I know there are certain inmates who who have access to crafts and hobbies, and if they can make something for an inmate that they can keep at the institution that might be kind of on that contraband border, you know, edging towards it. Um, but that, you know, the one inmate who has the food or the, you know, the ramens, whatever it might be, can't make because they don't have those skills. Um, they might let them do it. You know, one of the things we're, we're talking about, you know, ramen noodles. One of the things that the inmates have to do to, to, to make the, produce the ramen noodles is use contraband to make it. They have to use a stinger to heat up the water, um, inside their cell if they want it hot. Um, so it's, uh, you know, so you might be able to afford the ramen noodles, but do you have a stinger in your cell so that you can warm up the water? And if not, you're going to have some cold ramens. Right. And some places will allow a hot plate mm-hmm. in place of that stinger. And, and for anyone who missed last time, I believe we explained it, but a stinger is some kind of contraption that you're able to fit into an electrical socket that creates heat. It generates energy. It can be, it, it's often a makeshift tool made out of like paper clips and I'm not even sure what just else. Some wires. What, what have you seen them made out yeah, of? Yeah. So, I mean, it, a lot, the most simple ones is they're just taking some wires, plugging them in and sticking them in the water and electrocuting the water to heat it up. Um, sometimes they, you know, as you said, they'll put in paper clips to make it a little bit safer. Um, they'll take parts out of radios. Uh, you know, some institutions still have, uh, you know, they, every there, I think there's a few that still have cassette players that are allowed. Um, 
and uh, or iPods rather than uh, iPads or some type, you know, some type of MP3. Well, they take them apart. They're going to steal the the inner workings of those because they can help um, conduct electricity, and then they can use that to heat up some water so that they can have some coffee or um, or you know, like you said, some soup uh, on the unit. Yeah, I, I might have mentioned this before, but giving inmates surveys when I was working on my dissertation, if I brought along real pens, on more than one occasion, I had an inmate take apart the pen and try to steal the spring therein. I would catch them, and it was one of those, uh, you caught me. Like they're, they're not that embarrassed or anything. It's kind of a no harm, no foul. I'm not holding a grudge against them. I, I just know not to not to trust too much when giving a real pen because they're going to try and take my right. pen spring. Right. Yeah. Take it apart steal that. And all of a sudden that click, click doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your, your pen's gone dead. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that inmates will, they'll, they'll look to get pieces and parts that may not be important to us. Like we know, we don't think of a pen spring as a valuable object, but something like that in prison can give them advantage in some ways. All right. I think that is a wrap on prison contraband. Do either of you have anything to add? I do not. No. No, because especially when we look at, you know, shanks and shivs, we always wonder where they got the piece of metal from and then what are they wrapping it with. So it's a great way to bring an end to this episode is to say that's a wrap on contraband. Oh, thank you. You brought it all back around. (laughs) Put a bow on it. Again, thank you to producer Britt. This has been Prison Breakdown. Please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. Until next time, I've been Professor Beckstraw. And this is Professor Eric Bronson. Happy Halloween as much as Beck hates it. All right, team. Lights lights out. out.